Hey, Mac, when does deer season start? Well, if you want the best deer herd possible, Lanny, you need to start right now. Right now. That's, That's why right. we're starting our promotion. I mean, we've got a deer season starts now promotion on plantbiologic.com where you can pick up our game changer soybeans, our forage soybeans, and our spring protein peas. While you're there, you might as well go ahead and pick up some brassicas like our final forage and winter bowls. Yeah, stock up for the cool season planting right now. Listeners to the GK Podcast, if you use coupon code GKPOD, you can save an additional 10% off our entire selection of warm season, cool season, and clover food plot seed. Get started today and visit plantbiologic.com for an unforgettable fall. I am Jeff Foxworthy, and welcome to Gamekeeper Podcast. If you want to learn more about farming for wildlife and habitat management, then buddy, you are in the right place. Join the Gamekeeper crew direct from Mossy Oak Land Enhancement Studio as they discuss the latest wildlife and habitat management practices, news, and of course, hunting. There's no telling what you'll learn, but I'm going to tell you, I bet it's interesting. Enjoy. Well, it's just taken a lot of effort to get this group sitting in here, and I don't know that we, I don't know we're going to be able to pull this off, to be honest with you. Yeah. That's what they say is working like killing ants, Bobby. <sighs> yeah, we're yeah. rough, rough, rough. It, yeah, it's yeah. rough. Chris, you're going to have to pull your microphone a little closer to you. We're not very technologically inclined. Nope. Yeah. But. Mr. Bill's sitting over here. Uh, we ask him to count to 10, and that and we gets to two, and he, then he looks at me. I <laughs> Well, so look, welcome everybody. West Point, Mississippi, home of Mossy Oak Brand Camo. We're going to do, a, we, we've tried, we've attempted to do this podcast for about six weeks. Yeah. Uh, Why would you have tried this topic this time of year and expect it? That was my point. Yeah. Well, it, it, getting everybody in here so, to do this. Yeah, but so night. why would you be telling duck stories when we ought to be out making duck stories? That's a good point. Well, that's true, but you know we got people that uh, want to listen to a story. Okay, when okay. they're driving somewhere, coming back, they want to hear a good duck story. So. As my buddy in college used to say, "Make haste, and we're going to make a story afterwards." <laughs> that one, now explain that one to me real quick. Make, make haste. Let's get out of here. We're going to make a story. Yeah. Okay. Make haste. Okay. Make make a duck story. Well, look. Uh, so here we are. It's, it's the the season is kind of rapidly winding down, and that's why Sadly. everybody is kind of in such an edgy mood. They're wanting to go kill a few more. And if we could just kind of take a deep breath here for just a second, uh, I want to look around at uh, uh, blood on the biologic. Dudley, have you? Uh, I've, I've got a couple of kids that I've seen. Uh, Jordan Lasuza. Jordan used yes. to work here. His son Steele killed a really nice deer a couple of days ago. Nice. That's awesome. Yeah, it, it was it was precious. I I think we'll be seeing a lot more out of Steele in the future. Oh there, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think you're absolutely right. And a young man named Liam Lewis had killed his first. Uh, it killed his first. It was a doe the other day, and his, his, they posted it. And just seeing those first timers, that's just so exciting. Oh, that's yeah. a big deal. Love seeing that. So congrats, Liam. Yeah, so, uh, and, and that, and, uh, you know, Lanny, I see you over there. You're looking at me like, who is sponsoring this episode? And so I'm, I'm glad you asked that question. I'm, I'm excited to announce to everybody that we have a new sponsor, and it's LS Tractors. Wow. And, uh, Very good. and so LS Tractors is now the uh, official tractors of uh, the Gamekeepers of Mossy Oak. So in the upcoming weeks and months, we'll be telling more about that uh, 
uh, about LS tractors. There is just they're just some incredible tractors. And, I, uh, I have put one to the test, and it it passed with flying colors. That's a good sign. Great, yeah, <laughs> that is. It, that really is a good sign. So uh, we're excited about it. We're we've got a bunch of stuff that's happening in the next few weeks, but we will start unrolling some more details here shortly. And uh, I'm I'm just real excited about that, Mr. Bill. I'm looking at you, Gregory. Was a big part of helping us pull that off, and. And uh, as I'm traveling with him, sometimes I'm thinking I'm looking at you. And, uh, no, that's not. <laughs> yeah. So, all right. So. Poor kid. Yeah. So. Uh, so. Well, yeah. Well, I won't. I won't go that that far. He's a. Uh, you know, I've enjoyed dealing with with Gregor. He's 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 awesome. He's a fine well, young man. Yeah. Yeah. He no sure doubt. Is. So, True professional. All right, so we've got too many people in here for all the microphones that we have, and I see that we just had another guest walk in here, Brooks Tinsley. And, Brooks, we're glad you're here. We'll, we're going to get to your story. Yes, thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah, so we'll do that. So, all right, so just trying to get organized here. I've, we've got about ten stories that we're going to hear. And uh, then we're going to rotate. Some of you guys are wanting to get out of here, and we'll let you get no, out I, of here. But I will stay here for you, Bobby. They want to leave. I'm, I'm good. Listen to that. It's a true sign of friendship. Well, so uh, as we kind of look around the room, Dudley, who would you want to start with if you uh, had your druthers? And let me ask you this, Dudley. I would like for you to break the ice of this podcast and get everybody comfortable. And let's just go ahead and ask Chris Paradise some rapid-fire questions. Now, Chris. Where's my disclaimer for (laughs) I might need to sign something here. Yeah, Chris, Be careful, is, uh, Dudley. You've probably heard. I would, assuming you've listened to our podcast before. Oh, just once. And you've, uh, you've probably the rapid fires brought to you by our friends at Springfield Armory. Make some great pistols, and uh, so I got it, it. it. I have one that I was told I probably need to x out, but I, I think I'm gonna. Gamble. Hey, look, I'm look, gonna gamble I, a little bit. Here. I'm okay. I can deal with it. Just hopefully. Are you ready, Chris? I am ready. All right. Fire away. Sweet or unsweet? Sweet. Eat deer or eat duck? Duck. Dabblers or divers? Dabblers. Dogs, yellow, black, or fox red? Anything lab. Would you rather call ducks or call turkeys? That's evil. (laughs) (laughs) Favorite pattern? Favorite camo pattern? Original shadow grass. Big spread or little spread? Depends. Big water or flooded timber? Both. Decoys, handmade or from the factory? Handmade. Milk and cookies or creme brulee? Wow. Milk and cookies. And last but not least, Dulcolax or blueberries? Blueberries. <laughs> that's pretty I good. Mean, yeah, I don't that's know. That's pretty good. I don't know if I want to oh, ask the boy. story about the blueberries. <laughs> but say that was a different day. I don't know what you're smoking, Dudley, but those are some cool questions. Yeah, <laughs> good. Yeah, don't worry, good. we got you lined up next. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're good. So, so just looking around the room, we got Mr. Bill Sugg, who's made it in here a time or two in the past. Uh, occasionally, we don't lock the door, and he slips in here. Always been invited. Yep, and we've got Brooks Tinsley sitting on the couch over here. Lanny has slipped out somewhere. Not sure where he is, but he's kind of in and out. Toxie's sitting at his end of the table, and he's, he for looks now, like For now. Yeah, he looks like at any minute he could be out of here. <laughs> then we've got Chris Paradise all the way from Chagrin Falls, Ohio, that's here. And uh, that's the first time Chris has he's been on the podcast, but not here in the studio. Not in the studio. Yep, yep. And it's then awesome. Dudley? I'm just here to hear all the stories and make commentation. Peanut gallery. I think let's start with Mr. Bill. 
Let's let Mr. Bill tell us a good duck story. Well, this one I'm going to tell because it involves two people that are sitting in this room. Uh, it's, it's about a special duck hunt that Toxie arranged for my lifelong best friend, Mr. Bill Buck Staggers, and I. A long time ago, they were headed off to Alabama for their family week down there, and, and he was kind enough to say, here's a spot if y'all want to go. Uh, have at it. So I, Billy Buck and I and Holly Bell, my lab that passed away last spring, 15 years, we all headed in there. And I have that dog because Chris helped me arrange for me to get that dog out of Grand Falls to a friend that helped train his dogs, flew up there, got her. Actually flew up there for an interview by the trainer. You were getting interviewed. I got interviewed. Yeah. Yeah, for But anyway, long story short, she ended up being a great family dog, great family pet, great duck retriever, and, and this is one of the more special hunts we ever had. We waded into some water. It, it was really on the back of what he calls his big lake. It, it was really on the back end, buck brush, really high, over waist deep, and I didn't have a place for the dog. And I looked around, I found one stump with a log butted up against it, and she sat on that. And I don't think it wasn't terribly cold, didn't have a vest on, took in two decoys and some shakers, a couple of shakers, and that was it. And about two, wait four, a minute, two decoys. Yeah, two, yeah, two that decoys. That is so uncharacteristic. Well, this yes. is a pool where you got to go. It's yeah. Not that, somewhere you get to really. It, it was buck brush, and there wasn't yeah. many holes. You're not carrying and, a big bag on your back. So, this okay. Yeah. Old it's school. Just, you yes. know, you just sort of adapt to what it is. But anyway, put those out. In about 15 minutes, magic started happening. Single mallard, doubles, and long story short, it, it ended up being a, a great hunt, but one particular retrieve. And, you know, there's an old saying, and this is true because I can do it now when you hear this saying, but you never do- brag on your dog till they're dead because mm-hmm. if you do, they're going to disappoint you. <clears throat> but I winged a duck further out. That, it was right here, but, but I clipped it. And it sailed, and off she went. And that water's deep. She's swimming the whole way. Five minutes later, I'm about ready to fall in there after her, and and I'm finally out here splashing, and here she comes. Climbs back up on the log, and we ended up having a great afternoon, a great hunt that I'll never forget. I'm going to tell one other quick one because it's it's with Larry Moore, whom another lifelong friend, that actually has been working with us for over 30 years. He's semi-retired now. Helped develop a lot of the patterns we have. But, but since it's cold time of year, we all got ice stories. And a lot of times this year, it's very icy. Well, we hunted. This is long for Mossy Oak. Hunted down Knoxville County one morning. And it was frozen up. I don't know how thick the ice was, but we had a hard time breaking it, getting through. Trying to walk to this hole. And I hear Larry say, hey. And I, I look, and he says, hey, hey. And the, a big slab of ice had broken loose and was pushing him, where, and it was, again, waist deep, pushing him where he was about to go under. And I had a sack of decoys. When you mentioned that this morning, Chris, and one of your stories made me think of this, I shoved that decoy bag across the ice. And he got it, and we got him out. And he's often told me, he said, you actually saved my life. I said, no, I didn't save your life, but I kept you from getting very wet. Anyway. Yeah. Wow. Ice, ice can be dangerous. you got to watch what you do. We could have used that story uh, recently. Yeah, how, know, de- how, how deep was that scenario? 
But I wasn't deep was the water. It was waist deep. Yeah, a little but bit. But he more was getting than waist pushed deep. out to he's deeper getting, water. Getting, yeah. getting toppled. Yeah. 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 Fixing to get toppled over. Well, that he, was couldn't, quick. he couldn't fight it. That he was just, quick thinking. Yeah. Quick thinking. Mm. Well, if Mr. Bill's anything, he's a quick thinker. Could have been bad. <laughs> but now, and there's nothing better than watching a, you know, your dog do something just oh, absolutely. outstanding. Yeah. So on that first story, it, she went out of sight yeah. after this duck, and then you can't see her. No. And then she. I couldn't even hear her after a while. Yeah. She but she comes back. Uh, yeah. That's you know, we all, everybody that's a dog lover and dog going to have those it. stories about their dog. That's everybody a great has, feeling. Yeah. You know, it is. You're proud of them. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's right. Your dogs and your children when they take their first step. <laughs> anyway. I got Spence from Rolling Thunder Game Our buddy. Calls. That's yeah, right. what a cool guy. He. Uh, hey, look, I'm going to tell you what. He's probably seen more ducks than most. Yeah, I'm looking down the table at him and, Brooks. Him and Brooks. Uh, yeah. You might have been on this hunt, Brooks. I don't, I don't know if I was on it or not, but he's he's seen a lot of them hit the water. Well, he yeah. should have invited you if you weren't, you know. No doubt. <laughs> well, let's listen to this one. Duck hunting is one of the most important things in your life. Probably in the top three, with, with your wife being up there and your faith being up there. So uh, you're our right kind there. of people there. But you hunt all over the country. I see you start in Canada, and I know you got a good story. Man. There are so many. It's hard to pick just one. But probably my favorite one to tell uh, was from Biomita. Biomita is a big 35,000 acre, 33,000 acre WMA in Arkansas. So it's public. We knew there were a lot of ducks. We'd kind of been shooting them here and there for the previous few days. If the ducks keep doing the same thing day after day, you kind of refine your, your tactics. You get in a better spot every day, you know, and you kind of you get them dialed in and we thought we had the right weather and we thought we knew exactly where the ducks wanted to be. And so I called my dad and invited him to go with us, which is not something that I do a ton. We hunt together a lot. The older he gets and the older I get, the less I feel like entertaining uh, the rat race of public land with my dad in tow, you know, and he does, he just doesn't like all the rigmarole of all the fighting and racing and all that jazz. But on this occasion, he decided he wanted to go. We went and right at first light when you would, you know, expect there to be a lot of ducks on the trees, it was just completely dead. Very, very few ducks. I think we might've shot one or two in the first hour. And so we kind of went from super high level of optimism, really thought we were going to get them to just kind of the pits of despair. And so a couple of the guys in the group started walking and and looking and we knew that there were some ducks pretty close by and one of them came back and said man there's a flight line over here of ducks probably five or six hundred yards kind of to our northwest that we're not seeing and we need to get over here underneath them and so we packed everything up picked the decoys up and uh real shallow water so we kind of put her through the wood and made our way around a big slough to get to reposition which is something you don't typically do you know mid-morning on a duck hunt like that especially in public and it wasn't a hole where we were going it was just two big blowdowns but there was a steady flight line of ducks coming off one of the rest areas and going over to some private fields and that's what we had been hunting the previous couple days it just for whatever reason that day it had shifted to our northwest and we weren't seeing them and uh kind of got everybody reconfigured you know man i guess it was probably nine o'clock by the time we got reset it was two groups of hunters and seemed like maybe we had 14 or 15 people total hunting together it's kind of two camps the first group of ducks that flew over was you know treetop high and exactly the kind of ducks you want to work and we all hit them 
and they made one big bank and just filled the hole up. And I, it must have been a hundred or 150 ducks in one big wad. Mm. And everybody unloaded, and and uh, and I mean, we put up serious dent in our limit just in the first group. Everybody was high fiving, and just one of the guys I remember, he'd walked the boat off, but hadn't even got back to the hole by the time we landed him and shot into him. You know, we're hooping and hollering, and he was like, "Geez, guys, you know, y'all could hold on just a minute, wait till I get back." And by the time he got back to his tree, another group came over the woods, kind of the same way, a couple hundred ducks, just a giant wad of them. Um, and we all hit them real hard, started calling, and they made about two passes over the woods, and they sucked in there, and we just, you know, blistered them really good. So we did it a total of four times in 30 minutes between 9 and 9.30, and we shot a 15-man limit in four volleys. And I'll never forget, after the last volley, um, my dad giggled like a little girl. <laughs> I mean, he was so excited. And he came home and he told my mom that was the greatest duck hunt he'd ever been on his entire life. To start somewhere and fail and then to move and then to get them in four big wads like that really fast. It just was, it was one of those things I'll never forget. And it's always made me a little, if I'm not where I want to be and the ducks aren't there, it's one of those things I've always remembered and just thought, you know, you can always reset. You never know what's going to happen. It, was there one thing that you kind of took away from the that hunt that you you said, boy, the the, the sunshine was hitting those decoys just right, or the wind was man. Perfect? The takeaway for me is you always want to be underneath ducks. It's pretty hard to kill them when you're not underneath them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so when when we moved, what happened was we got underneath just a steady flight line of ducks trading back and forth from point A to point B, and we weren't really in a particular spot that they necessarily wanted to be. But we also weren't in a spot that they didn't want to be. You know, we were in a spot that they were willing to be and and just by running traffic and, you know, blowing our duck calls loud and calling at them, you know, we got their attention and they thought, you know, this is a day we'd like to sit in the woods. And, uh, and a good many of them decided this is a day we'll die in the woods. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was a good – I wish I'd have been there. That's a lot of ducks in four, in four if I could, If I could run that one back and, and extend some invitations, you'd be at the top of the list, Mr. Bob. Oh, I hear you. All right, Spence, well, we sure appreciate you being on here. Thank you. Yes, sir. Good luck the rest of the season. I, I for sure wasn't on that one, but I wish I was. Me it sounds too. Sounds like man. Uh, man, when those when you get those big groups coming through the trees, it can uh it can get it can get really good really quick. And you know, if your buddies can shoot, it really gets really fun really quick. Yeah, most people, if they've ever had that happen, can probably count on one time. Yeah, even very if you few. hunt a lot, handful that's, of times. That's yeah. right. That's Brooks, right. what is it about the timber that is just so alluring? I don't know. It's just the way they fly. That last little bit when they commit, and their their body language totally changes, and they just it it's it's like they do stuff that you never, never see them do. do anywhere else. Uh, and you know, to have you know, I can remember some particular groups that came in, but the, sounds like this story that Spence told, they had one of those mornings that you just don't forget. I call it sheets. There's like sheets of ducks, you know, and it's raining in sheets and the, and the ducks are coming in. Yeah. Very yeah. special. And yeah. to your point, Dudley, pretty rare. Yeah. All right. So this next hunt, Mark Prudhomme, he's from South Carolina. Uh, he's the a trumpet call man. Yes. He's a world-class turkey caller yeah. and call manufacturer. And self-professed gamekeeper. That's right. That's he's right. been managing the place for Duck Brooks for 40 years. Mm-hmm. And he was telling me how he plants rice and he plants guide's choice and bunch of different things for his ducks and he works at it really hard but he's got a he's got a great story i want y'all to listen to this 
Well, you asked me, uh, you know, if I had any memorable stories and, uh, and I, and I do, I've got, I guess I've been managing for waterfowl and taking people and guiding for about 42 years. So you got mm. so many stories. Uh, but I tend to, I tend to, uh, to like to think about stories that, that mean something to me. And, uh, I never forget <clears throat> one of the best hunts I've ever had was actually an afternoon hunt. Mm. And, uh, it was the last day of the season and, uh, it was one of those afternoons it was just it was just happening ducks just kept coming kept coming and it got to a point to where i was just sitting back and watching and i had a dog with me that was uh in her last you know final season and i knew it and uh i I was just kind of watching her watch the ducks and uh, her name was sandy we were sitting there and the ducks were coming in it was just so so many ducks that it was one of those where you, you just stop shooting and you just take it all in yeah. and uh i'll never forget you know sitting in the blind looking at her thinking you know this is her last this is it you know she's she's definitely i mean i i could sense that she struggled a little bit on the on the last retrieve and uh so we're sitting there and i i thought about it and i said well you know you, you never want it to end you know, you no. never want, you don't want that to be the last time, but, um, I knew it was. And, uh, so I'm sitting there and I wanted to shoot one more duck, try to get, you know, something for her and, uh, wanted it to be something special. We don't get a lot of blue wings. We do get a few, but not too much, but that day we were covered up. So, uh, toward, every toward the end of the season, you had some blue wings. yeah, right at the end, you know, we get, we get blue wings early and then they come in late. So, uh, so they were coming in pretty strong and, uh, I picked out a big, pretty blue wing Drake. And I mean, he come in, he did everything perfect, came in, the wind was in his face and, and I shot him and, uh, Sandy come out of the blind like she did when she was a puppy. I mean, you could tell, I mean, I, I felt like it was her last hunt and, uh, or I knew it was. And, and I, I kind of wonder if she didn't feel the same she come out of there just like she did when she was a pup, which is pretty special. Mm-hmm. And uh, she brought that duck, <clears throat> swam hard all the way back. I ended up mounting it. Still got it, which oh, is yeah. is awesome. So, but that's that's a hunt that meant a lot to me. It, and, it's uh, you know, waterfowlers and their dogs. I mean, you know, hunters and their dogs. Period. But there's that there's that bond you got with with your with your water dog. That's uh obviously yeah. undeniable yeah I, I i tell you what i kind of i gotta chill and, yeah. <laughs> i mean that that stuff that that's to me that's the good stuff no doubt and, about it and uh boy anybody's got a dog can relate to that and there's yeah. a bunch of us around here going the dogs are getting older and that's, yeah that's uh that's one of the next events probably we're, we're several of us are looking at that's a good story Thank you're, you. You're over there in South Carolina. Y'all that low country. That's a that's a beautiful part of the world. You can do it, it all is. over there. Oh yeah, we can. Uh, I mean, I can put in at my house and go up and bass fish, go down and redfish. Um, we can shoot deer, ducks, um, turkeys. Are, I mean, we're probably about six miles from the ocean, so yeah. we we can do a lot of different things. It's a pretty versatile place. We're gonna have to go see him, Bob. Mm. Yeah, we are. <laughs> yeah, we are. <laughs> Wow. Well, I tell you what, Sandy sounds like she had a fine that 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 final season. What there. kind of putt was she? 
She was a blonde lab. Blonde lab. Yeah. Well, you know a man when when the man cares about his dog, makes sure his dog's right there at the end. Has you know those opportunities have that says a lot. Yeah, yeah that's it right. really does. Because yeah. they enjoy it just as much as you do. Yeah, really if do. not more. Yeah, I believe yeah. you're right. Yeah. When you more. keyed in and you said she was watching those ducks, I, I, I could I yeah. could just picture that in my mind. So. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, thank you for sharing that with us. Well, thank you for letting me uh, let me tell it. I'm I'm a big fan of the show and enjoyed. Thank you for having me. No, shoot, yeah. yeah. Come back all the time. Yeah, please, please do. <laughs> uh, we yeah. all talk about it yeah. when you've got a dog. It, there's a bad day coming. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They're just in, when they're a puppy. Inevitable. That's right. Well, every dog owner, whether they hunt or not, is attached to their dog. It's yeah. a part of their family. It's you know, it's it's a relative. That's right. But it's something about the bond between a duck hunter and their dog mm-hmm. to me that's just tenfold. Uh, the passion, you know, that, you know, what you share with that animal is just, it's beyond words a lot of times. Yeah. You, you often, I mean, I often found myself hunting for him, you know, this or, or them is what it is. It yeah. seems you, like, so. you hear a lot of people when their dog passes, they kind of quit hunting. Oh yeah. No. Or, or if he's even, you know, later on in his years, they don't hunt as hard. Yeah. Then they'll pick up a new one eventually whenever the time's right. And, uh, and then they get in full when that dog's about two or three years old they're gonna be full swing hunting yeah <laughs> and i've read a lot of stories about people taking their dogs on what they knew was going to be his last yeah. hunt yeah and how they kind of set it up for him and how they enjoyed watching that dog so much and how much the dog enjoyed it yeah. and it, those just tear, tear at your heart no it's good stuff yeah that, that that really was all right let's keep moving chris you're a uh, lifelong duck hunter i'm expecting some kind of really good story out of you here you know, I uh, I thought about it when you called me what the topic was going to be, and it's, it's difficult because, and I know this sounds crazy, but every hunt it, it for waterfowl for me is important. It's fun. It's enjoyable. I really don't have a favorite hunt. Now, if you're talking about strictly a, uh, a numbers game, yeah, we've all had great hunts that have been exceptional and lots of birds and, and, and great shooting. But the more I thought about it, I thought about just the idea of the question and what – your favorite waterfowl hunt maybe or your favorite duck hunt it, it kind of slid me back in time a little bit because we talk about dogs we talk about family we talk about great hunts that we've all had together where maybe i've had one day in town and we've gotten a chance to be somewhere or whatever it is and i can tell you i can lay in bed and think of every one of them friends that have passed uh, excellent you know shooting days and tough shooting days but they all are etched in my mind but one that, that really stands out for me is uh you know, our family has had a long-standing tradition in waterfowl that goes back 70-plus years on Sandusky Bay. Uh, it's steep in tradition. I read about it before I got a chance to even do it. But my, my grandfather, who instilled that in us, took us there uh, the first time we were able to go as young kids. My uncles, my dad, my brothers, my cousins. And, and it was just one of those situations where I knew that was me. I, I just felt it. And, and I love duck hunting. Uh, obviously more than most, and I love turkey and I love deer, but but ducks kind of just hit me deep. And as time passed, my grandfather got older. Uh, obviously, my dad uh, died at a young age, but I had uncles that did it, and they're no longer here either. But the the hunt that sticks out the most for me would be the last time we were all together. And it was a hunt where I never even pulled the trigger. I never took the safety off. Uh but for every year, for many, probably almost 20 years, I would put on a big event Friday night, get the family together, 
we'd eat and the next day go out to the various leases we have in town and, and have a shoot. And I distinctly remember walking the perimeter of all the marshes because there was three that are connected. Everybody had their own blinds. And the look on my grandfather's face, just to know that the entire family was there. And we had a great shoot. Uh, it was fantastic. But I remember thinking, this is what I have to do to keep this going. And today we're very fortunate because we've had many great hunts with my kids, uh, both Michael and Ava, who loved to duck hunt. Uh, and I, and I keep remembering going back that, hey, you know, this is me keeping the tradition, uh, making sure that it stays in our family. And so that's kind of the hunt that has made it all possible. And that's why I think I enjoy it so much. Well, yeah. Yeah. That's good. That's good. Yeah. Well, so Sandusky Bay, when I think of that, I, well, I think back through all the Ducks Unlimited magazines I've seen, I'm thinking of kind of a marshy area. Yeah. How different is it from hunting down here in Mississippi? Well, you know, it's interesting. There's a uh, row crop. Uh, there's a lot of clubs that have uh, access to a lot of ag, and they plant a lot of ag every year. But what you'll find is your moist soil management by far and away is your most productive. The thing we have with Lake Erie and Sandusky Bay is we have an incredible what we call rest pond, rest area. We get a lot of birds off the big water. Um, you know, when the wind kicks up, those birds get off that water, and they're getting back into a lot of the marshes. And so very similar in terms of some of the backwater uh, places that we hunt. Like this morning, we were, uh, Toxie and I were sitting together, and I said, man, it's just beautiful. It's, it's a natural setting, very similar to a lot of the areas we have back home. But what you find with Sandusky Bay, big water ducks, you work them, big flocks. Um, there could be tens of thousands, you know, plus sitting on the bay in front of you. And when that wind kicks up, boy, it gets pretty interesting. I bet. Yeah. Mm. Y'all have y'all kill a lot of black ducks up there, a lot, too. A lot of black ducks. In fact, uh, I just, I, I have a... I visit with a doctor soon about uh, my issue I have, and that's mounting black duck. So <laughs> I need to get over that, but every time I shoot one, I want to mount it. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, we do. We see a lot of black ducks, a lot of pintails, a lot of mallards, a lot of teal, but we've noticed just with a lot of our, our natural vegetation that's died off, a lot of the uh, invasive species that have come into play up there, we lost a lot of our diver ducks. Um, you have to really, really chase them out in, into big water to start getting after them. Not like we used to have, you know, many years ago. Hmm. Yeah. Times change, honey. Yeah, they it's, do. It's, you've been hunting long enough to see it. And, yeah. And Toxie talks about years ago there being just a lot of black ducks right yeah. in this area. Yeah. I was saying on average, if you killed, um, you know, ten, every 10 mallards you kill, you killed two, at least two black ducks. I mean, you every time we went just about you kill at least one so i mean yeah they were very very common you see them every time you went and so i know um it's been a while we kill a few you know we don't go as much or kill as many as we used to around here but um i noticed um neil hunted one time this year and it was actually in you know the timber and all and saw quite a few had some actually uh i'm pretty sure dropped in and folks who was taken didn't know any difference and just kind of thought it was a hen and going for green let it get out of there but uh it's a beautiful duck i have seen daddy killed a um a hybrid a black duck with a green head i've seen three or four of those yeah so i think they hybridize with mallards pretty easy you know interestingly enough too we've noticed where 10 15 years ago we would see a flock of six to 10 to 15 black ducks together and i just asked one of the biologists at the club the other day when is the last time you saw more than three together or four? And we were all stumped by that question because we have not seen that. 
we don't see them in the big flocks like we used to. They are sprinkled in with the mallards, very similar mm-hmm. with toxic sand, and we we see the hybridized of that of that bird of that. And it's a little concerning because I do remember days distinctly where there'd be a, a ten pack and they were all black ducks, mm-hmm. and it's just not that way. Wow, we're great. Yeah. yeah, what a what a beautiful duck. <laughs> You know, I, I'm not sure I can ID the uh, the difference in a male and a female black yeah. duck. It's just but the it's color so, of the bills, I yeah. can tell. Yeah, one of them's olive. Which yes. one? Is- so, so you have your drake will be your uh, just like a drake mallard, yep. and your and your hen is like an olive drab color, mm-hmm. and there is a noticeable size difference. And we will do our best to pick out drakes, and it, it can be done. You got to let them get in, uh, but it's it's definitely doable. Chris. Uh, I don't know if you remember this, but uh, the first time I met you was in Arkansas <clears throat> at a hotel. And we were, this was probably well well over 20 years ago, we were at a Waterfowl USA yes. event. Yes. I, I, yes. So so growing up in Alabama, I just had wood ducks to hunt, basically. If we saw a greenhead, it was just so exciting. When I moved over here, I got so excited about duck hunting and greenheads. And, but pintails were kind of elusive for me. Yeah. So the first time I met you, you were telling we were standing in the doorway of your hotel room, and you were saying, "Guys, so we took these people hunting." And I said, "Hey, could I just stay out here the rest of the day, y'all, by myself? I need to. I'm tired. I just." And you said, "I took a nap," and you woke up and you heard, and you you stood. Up, I was or I was looked out. I was laying on the levee, and there was a, a Drake pintail just locked up. Just, yeah. And you killed it, and you had it right there, and you said it was like the longest sprig. You, I remember seeing that and going, oh, my gosh, I've got to have one of those. Yeah. I, I will say this, too. Every duck that I continue to shoot, including the ducks we shot with Toxie this morning, when I will hold that duck, and I mean, it, look, he does. I look at them all with the same respect. Henner Drake, is yep. as crazy as it sounds. But I've been with a lot of folks, you know, they, they throw them in a pile, and, and, and they're muddy, or, you know, right. the, the dog. I try to not only show the respect, but I will say that every duck is an intrigue for me to just look at every single time. I love it. I could shoot five pintails in a week. Everyone has the same respect. I, I'm just enamored with the beauty of it. And I, and I remember that because I was sleeping on the levee, and I used to do that. I used to lay out with her with the ducks. And quite frankly, that's the best way to learn how to call to them. And, and what they do is when you're not so fixated on shooting them, when you watch them and listen to them, it's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. See, I like turkeys and everything. It's just so much fun to be in them, period, you know. That's the biggest thing. Yeah. And, you know, of course, killing them is great, too. But, boy, just to be in them, because there's nothing worse than not being in them <laughs> yeah. at all. <laughs> well, and, uh, Chris it's a was good hitting thing on it's it spring. earlier, but, uh, you know, they're all the way up in Canada and Alaska, and they end up down near Venice, Louisiana, or yes. wherever. Uh, crazy. The habitat thing is just there's so many links in the chain. Uh you try to compare that to like turkeys. Yeah, you know, that's a small area, but well, they've we, got to have everything from top to bottom. And yep. we always make the parallel. People say, "Well, the, the ducks are down, or you know, they're not really flying good, or you know, we must be, you know, in the overall fall flight index must be down." Look, duck, it's a migratory bird. There are so, like you say, there are so many links in that whole chain that must fall into place. But we got to realize too that weather calendar migration all those things that play a role that's what makes it so unique i think that's why i love it and we've been all blessed because of what we do at mossy oak but i've been able to hunt them from north to south and it's the same duck but i will tell you and i believe it today and i more than ever toxie and bill used to always say yeah ducks when they get down here man they're pretty wary you know 
It's a fact. Oh, it's yeah. good to know. It is a fact. Arkansas, Louisiana, places I've hunted here. You know, ducks up by us for the first 60 days, it's, it's, it's good. You get down here and you go, Well, they've already been past them. Yeah. Murderer's Row before they ever get here. You know, I'll, I'd be remiss <clears throat> if I didn't say this. Mr. Ed Moxley, uh, a friend of our whole family here. Special, uh, man. special, man, special man. Did not have a, a biology degree in waterfowl, but he was one of the most knowledgeable people to ever walk the face of the earth regarding a duck or a goose itself. And uh, on the last day, two years before his passing, we were hunting a hole, and uh, it was so special not only because of, of being with him, and he loved everybody here at Mossy Oak. He was enamored with the simple fact that he was part of Mossy Oak. And this is not a uh, a paid endorsement. This wasn't a, a sponsored uh, imp- uh, influencer for us. He was just a friend. And the last bird he shot was a Drake Black Duck oh, wow. that, that day. And and first of all, he's the same way. You know, Every bird to him was important. And... As my dog was bringing it back to him, I looked, and it's banded. Oh, wow. It was a 13-year-old black duck. Wow. That had barely worn. You could barely see the numbers on the band. But but days later, when he got all this information back, the words of his mouth spoke to me in an interesting way. He said, I want you to think about what that black duck saw and what he avoided for so many years. And that summarized for me, when you think about it, what they deal with, the pressure, not only predators. the pressure of us and predators, but weather and, and avian flu today and all those things, to have a black duck make it 13 years through the migration is pretty amazing. It is. Yeah. It is amazing. Especially for a species like that that's had so much change mm-hmm. in, the, in the last 100 years. I know we got to move on, but one other comment about Mr. Moxley, who was indeed a special man and lover of waterfowl that he was a big ducks unlimited supporter in a mm-hmm. major way and chris knows his story way better than i do but he donated his marsh to the state of ohio yes oh wow for, for other people to be able to have access to it yeah, yeah. that's a big he loved waterfowl <clears throat> and you know, we talk about giving back he's a phenomenal example of doing that in a big way and that was his rule they could only hunt it mondays Wednesdays and one day on the weekend, uh, but kids got first right. It was always an open draw to the public, and he did not want it to go private. Pretty special. Yeah, wow. that's awesome. Yeah. Cheers. Really and it is the number one producing waterfowl piece of property within the uh, a repertoire of what the state of Ohio uses for hunting ducks. Number Moxley. one producer. Moxley's Marsh. Moxley's Marsh. Wow. Great legacy. Wow. Yeah. Great man. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, Toxie, what about you? I know you got a great story for us. Oh, there's so many. Oh my gosh. One one I guess is the the one that always if you said you said this one sticks in my mind. Take just a second. But so growing up, you know, daddy started taking me at a really young age, you know, and uh, I can remember having shot a turkey that was across some backwater to the next little ridge and he had you know, he got it for me. I remember him uh more than one occasion either, you know, carrying me through a bunch of backwater, getting soaking wet to get to the other side. Riding on the call, you know, get on my back. And, you know, one time, actually, the deer, like the, the, the one cuz got for me, he did that for me one time. But he was always doing that as a kid, just making sure and take care of stuff like that. So uh, I guess I was a teenager. And we we go, we when the water got up, we had a place we could go that got really good, but it was only when the water got up on this creek. And I think Bill had been up there some, too, in his days. I but the story, and it's a good 
And uh, so you have to just keep in mind all the stuff he'd done for me to that point. And so we got and He loved it. So to give you um, a shot at how Mr. Fox was about duck hunting, it was like, here they come, Daddy. Here they come. Wait, wait, wait. Wait, that's a that's a hen on the left. That's a hen. Boom, boom. Pop, uh, Papa always shot the hen like this voice talking to him. It's like, here comes some ducks. Oh, they're just, they're just, they're ring next. Let them go. Boom, boom, boom. <laughs> Papa, uh, well, we, don't, we don't shoot those. He said, son, tell you, Papa, a duck's a duck. <laughs> <laughs> he likes to shoot. And, you know, he could always say so much wisdom in oh, so yeah. few words. Yeah. But to him, a duck's a duck. He just liked to shoot them. So, uh, and he just couldn't help it. He loved it. And so this particular day, we went up there, and we couldn't get all the way out. There were some little canals and stuff that went up through there. You could take your boat and get right out in the middle of it. And where the water was shallow, there would always be a bunch. Of, I mean, I can remember pulling up there with my cousin one time and looking over that Johnson grass, and it was just this green heads as far as you could see, literally over a 1,000 probably. You know, it's just crazy in the old days how many ducks were there. So this day we went, and... We killed like a duck or two, and that was it. And then, but we saw them going down, saw them going down, saw them going down. Well, we couldn't get there by the boat, so we had to get out and walk. And it was cold. Oh, it was cold. And there was ice, a good bit of ice around and stuff. But, you know, there's some spots that water moved a little bit. And so we got up to this, uh, I can remember this part. It was like a little canal. It was probably about 15, 20 feet wide. It was really deep. And so as soon as we got there, some ducks banked and boom, boom, he shoots a pair down on the other side. And I was like, how are we going to get them? He said, what do you mean how are we going to get them? <laughs> you going to get them. <sighs> you got to be kidding me. Go on, get them. All the stuff I've done for you. I mean, you, you I mean, it was, it was in the high twenties, like around 30 Ooh. degrees, seriously. And so he had told me too, he's like, I, you know, taking some clothes off, you know, to, and I didn't, you know, because I just had actually had just rubber boots on. They didn't have waders. I had actually, I think, hip boots, but it was way over that. It was all the way up to your head. And so I took everything off, and he was like, no, you got to take everything off, or you're going to freeze to death when you get back. You got to have dry clothes to put on. So I was down to my underwear, and I had my gun so I could break the ice that I'm going <laughs> through this chest high to get across. And I didn't have to go far, and then it came back up, but then I'm barefoot, totally numb, cold. I get these two ducks. I mean, you know, at that age, you're, you know, bulletproof. Yeah. Also, get back on the other side. Dad. I get back over there, and he's so proud. It was a pair of mallards, you know, and uh, and you didn't kill, he didn't kill a ton, not he, not near as many as we did. And I'm getting there, and I've got like my socks back on, and I'm pulling my pants up, getting a little bit better. Next thing I know, boom, boom. No. And I said, Daddy, and I got really mad. I said some ugly words to my dad. I said, you what? Are you, are you? And he got quiet. He said, sometimes payback's a hell, son. <laughs> <laughs> and I peeled them all oh. off again. And I said, and I, you know, finally when I got back over, I realized, oh, that was his limit. So thank God. <laughs> Let's get out of here. I really almost froze to death. How old do you think you were? Probably 16, 17 years old. At the peak of being bulletproof. But that's a true story about him shooting the second time and saying that. Wow. That's <laughs> I vividly remember that. He laughed about it. He didn't bother him. He told other people about it. And to this day, you could tell him he's having trouble remembering things, but he'll remember that hunt. Jockey, I can't imagine that. I mean, 
Yeah, peeling was, down to your underwear and going. Honestly, cold. I can't believe in today's world the stuff that I actually did back then and, and didn't just die of some kind of disease or whatever. Um, That's some good. I tell you, someone in our fold who's seen more than anybody probably, not just in hunting has been a hunting man his whole life, but like his story career and law enforcement and everything, but. Mr. Bill Gibson, I guarantee you, has some amazing stories about duck hunting. Oh, yeah. He's been doing it a long time. So, we've got one recorded from him. Oh, really? That'll be good. Why don't we listen to that one right now? So, joining us now is our own Mr. Bill Gibson. And he is the the best dog trainer I've ever been around, Dudley. He's he's incredible. He's a dog whisperer. Yeah, I mean, even uh, even the dogs know that. Oh, (laughs) the dogs love him. Mr. Bill, we are so excited to have you here. Thank you. And you've been duck hunting a long time i'm expecting you to have a at least one really good story and i'm expecting it to involve dogs too so what can you tell us well i got uh one story that does not involve a dog and then i've got another story that involves a couple of dogs but uh you know back years ago when i was a youngster and it was uh back in the 70s we got up one morning, my buddy and I, and I had a little lease out in a little community called Una. Had a couple thousand acres and about 90 acres of uh, flooded green timber. And my buddy, who's an attorney, we going duck hunting. So we uh, we load up and we head down that way. And we get down to my little lease down there, and I was paying an astronomical sum for that lease, $296 a year. <laughs> you know, back 50 years ago, though. That's that a lot of money. A lot of money. Yeah. <clears throat> we'll probably end up having to beep that where that location was. <laughs> anyway, uh, it was a good location, had a lot of ducks. Back in those days, it'd be deafening down in there when you were walking in to hunt all the wood ducks and mallards and everything, quacking and squealing. So... We get down there, <laughs> and we get set up, and the ducks are not landing where we set up. Instead, they're landing about uh, maybe 150 yards away. So he says, I'm going on down another 150 yards, and you stay here, and we get them coming back and forth between us. So he goes down, boy, and ducks just start pouring in on me. And I'm steady shooting ducks, trying to get me a little limit. And uh, I heard him shoot finally. He wasn't a very good caller. I could outcall him. But he, anyway, he finally shot. And I said, hmm, he must have finally got one. And about 30 minutes later, I see him coming up through there with something in his hand. And I said, man, how many ducks you got? The way you're pulling, it looks mighty heavy. And he says, it is. And he gets up there, and he's got a 247-pound white tail with 24 and a quarter inch spread inside. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, What happened? How did that happen? It walked up there. He said it was a whole herd of bucks walking the decoys, and he couldn't get a shot on the biggest one, so he just took the one he could get. It was standing right in front of him. He shot it and with number five shot. And back in those days, of course, it was lead shot. That was back before the steel shot came in to be the thing. And uh, so we go down, and I help him drag it, and we get to the bank, and we can't drag it. It's too heavy. So we go get the truck, and we run off in the ditch and get stuck. Oh, of course. <laughs> yeah. And we, we finally get the deer to town, and we ride him around for four or five hours showing everybody. And, that's, uh, uh, that's how it worked back then. People would parade around town yeah. and get your picture taken. They'd put it up at the gas station. Probably weren't a lot of deer back then, were there? No, we'd see a track every now and then. Uh, 
I can remember when if you saw a track, it was a successful day, highly successful. But I had a limit of mallards, all of them greenheads, and he had that gigantic deer. And to this day, that deer hangs on his wall, and you can walk up there and you can feel the shot all down his neck. <laughs> what I said was, you probably just hit the deer superficially, and it fell over and drowned. <laughs> <laughs> But, I mean, that, that makes sense. That yeah. Probably a time of year the rut was going on, and there was so few deer that one doe that was in heat probably attracted four or five bucks. It was. It was four or five bucks in the crew. And it's right out in the middle of the flooded timber. So. Was there a deer season then? Oh, yeah. But it wasn't, uh, it wasn't like it is today. You could not shoot does back in those days. And uh, although... I know some people did to get camp meat, but, uh, yeah, it's changed a lot. And not very many. I didn't even deer hunt back then. I mostly duck hunted. Yeah. You yeah, got another, you got to go ahead, Doug. I was fun. just going <clears> to <throat> say that that's just one of those happenstance big deer stories that you hear about a lot uh, from back then, whether it be people rabbit hunting or duck hunting or whatever. Yeah, I had you, a limit of ducks. That people didn't, yeah, people didn't. <laughs> really go out to deer hunt you know in in an area like that where the population was so low so look before you tell us another story i want to ask you back so you're talking about 50 years ago but when you went out then did the ducks behave any differently than they do today i just imagine they didn't have quite as much pressure and did they respond to calling and decoys and all that oh they they definitely did as a matter of fact in that same place we went back uh a few weeks later, duck hunting, and then one shot killed seven mallards. Wow. That's how many ducks we had back in those days. That's hard to believe, but I have no reason to not believe you. So that's crazy. Yeah. That's awesome. So you're talking about you just shot, you shooting that one duck. and you No. Hit. They were so thick coming into the timber that when we shot at the one, seven fell. That's, that's <laughs> incredible. I know that's hard to believe, but that is absolutely the truth. I'm sure that's happened with, you know, snow geese um, in rare instances. So it, it's definitely not, plausible. Not with me because I shot at 50,000 snow geese one day and didn't get a one. <laughs> That'd be me. <clears throat> well, have you got another story for us now? Yeah, I can tell you about when I went to Canada about uh, oh, too many years ago to remember now. This guy was a financial banker, and he called and invited us up to to hunt on his place in Canada. He had a little 320-acre place and had a little cabin on it. But he didn't have electricity in the cabin because it was it was going to cost him $23,000 $23, to run an electric line to it. So everything ran off of butane. But anyway, we get up there and we buy our license and we buy some shells, get up early the next morning, and he says, come on, let's go down to the pond. We go down there and it's a pond about the size of this room. So, Which is... 25 feet by 25 feet. Yeah. yeah, maybe a little bigger, but not much. And he said, now y'all stay here, and at 7.05, you can shoot. But don't shoot before 7.05, and I go get the goose pits ready. So we're standing there, and I turn to my buddy, and I say, uh, you know, we're not going to do much good standing out in the open. We didn't have a blind. We just stand on a mud flat. And about that time a duck landed out there and i said we might ought to put the arkansas skillet shot on that one that may be the only one we get today and i look up and it's 704 in like 30 seconds to 705 
And from there to the horizon, all I could see was ducks. It looked like big flights of blackbirds coming. And they came into that pond for eight straight hours. And in eight minutes, we had killed 16 ducks. And my buddy was hollering, don't shoot anymore with the dogs. Get confused. Because <laughs> <laughs> the dog couldn't mark them all. But uh, we finally found 16 ducks. Couldn't tell what they were because the moat still had the colors <clears throat> all fouled up on them. You, you might shoot a pintail or a, a mallard drake or, you know, you might shoot a hen. Couldn't really tell the difference. So this but, was probably early September. Mm-hmm. And I, I named that pond the Million Dollar Pond. I said anybody would pay you a million dollars for that pond. And they, the ducks did that every day. But he would only let you hunt every other day because he didn't want to put too much pressure on. So he's letting them rest. Yeah. Wow. So sixteen was that the limit in Canada? That was the limit I suppose? at the time. Yes. <clears throat> wow. That's so all. You, that's you, always neat when you see that. Um, it's only happened a f- three or four times in my life, but where it it looks like a tornado of ducks. Yeah, but you know what? They they flew in there from seven oh five. Till it was almost dark that afternoon and never stopped coming in those numbers. And I figured out why. Because they cut the barley and the rain got it and they didn't harvest it and left all the barley laying on the ground with the seeds on it. And they were coming in lighting on that pond and walking out, ch- chopping down on the barley. So, ah, they were using the pond as a landing strip. Yeah. And, uh, okay. But I have never seen anything like it. I estimated probably 50,000 ducks came into that pond that day. Claypool's Reservoir in Canada. And we only got to hunt eight minutes. Mm. Have you ever been back? No, I thought about it several times. That'd be neat to try to find that on a map or something, just to see where it is. Well, <laughs> Mr. Bill, we appreciate you dropping okay. by and telling us those stories. We do, we do uh, love getting to talk to you, love getting to see what you do, and, and we know you love on those dogs. So I'd encourage anybody to check out the Gamekeeper Kennels, Mossy Oak Kennels, and it's a lot of fun just to watch the dogs. So. It is that. I, I can promise you, you'll enjoy it. So, Toxic, uh, 1977 is when all that uh, – that's, that's a long time ago. It was. It was. <laughs> you know, and he talks like those ducks behaved a little different back they then did. than they did in, yep. than they do now. I would have been about I would have been about 17 years old. That was probably about the same time as my little incident with Daddy. And, uh, yeah, there were a lot – you know, we had – it shows you how ducks will – it, you know, things evolve over time. And it's like we built a place here we like a lot. But it's taken years, and every year it's get a little better, a little better, get more and more used to it, more and more imprinted. But the Knoxby Refuge below here used to have probably, what, 600-acre lake, 400-acre lake. All kind of had a bunch of, you know, green timber areas flooded and all. They had a lot of habitat. And in the late 70s, I think 79 it was, one of those years, all that busted from a flood, and they lost it and didn't get it built back for years, and it changed. And to this day, the ducks do not migrate there like they used to when I was younger. It's yeah, amazing it. how things change. But it was a major destination coming down through here, and you could hunt anytime you would hunt, and Bill can remember those days. And you would just see, you know, it isn't like today we don't have the volume. Like, you know, Brooks's place on the Mississippi River, that's a whole different world. But even here, you would just see ducks all day. Going to the refuge or, you know, warmer day, go and back. It was just a flight plan. So, you know, it's amazing. And the story about that, though, is if you're patient and you do the right thing, you can probably imprint them just about anywhere. Mm. It just takes longer in some places than others. That's really interesting. Human intrusion is a big deal, too. I think we, and look, we have popularized, if you will, waterfowl hunting. Uh, There, you know, there's a lot of 
people that have gotten into it. There's technology. You know where people are hunting. They're posting where they're hunting, where the ducks are, when they've moved. That changed a lot for us. You know that biologist we had a month or two ago, that's already aired, but that's what number one. What's the number one thing? You know, managing a duck hunting place, intrusion. hundred yeah, percent. Never, ever get them up. Nope. Ever. Don't ever bother them. Don't let them know you're there. If at all possible, if you're checking and scanning to find them and whatever, you know, don't ride around and get them up. Do not bother them. He said another thing, make your hunt short. Don't go in there and stay all day. Get the, your hunt in and get out. And the and truth of the matter is, difference. morning and evening are the, are the times if you can stay away from your duck mm-hmm. hole. First light, last light, if you can avoid that. If you that, can, yes. Oof. Man, it's, yeah, that's, that's the hot tip of the day right there. If it, you can, is, he's right. I made a practice of trying at our place between 10 and 2. And most people say, oh, are you crazy? No, because before 10 and after 2, they're starting to move, right? And they're bringing bigger bunches. And we had a rule that, you know, try to stay off your bigger flocks. Human intrusion, limit it. Right. And don't hunt day to day, same spot if you can avoid it, right? And it makes a difference. And and those who don't follow that find themselves what we call dark 30 shooting, right at first light, right at last light. Right. And and typically everybody's in the air, so you're talking to everybody, educating them. It's a dangerous game. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. the one thing to always remember is just blah. Can't argue with it. They have to get up and eat something every day just like we do. So if they're feeding, it's a whole different sensitivity to yeah. that than maybe a loafing area. You know, Brooks and them hunt so much and do have so much success. It's unbelievable. I think he would tell you that the way you baby where they're feeding is a whole different thing than like a loafing spot, which you might can hunt. It's kind of like deer hunting. You can find a travel, travel corridor, and, man, you can hunt it all the time yeah. if you watch the wind and when they come because they – you know, they pass by and you get down and leave. But if you're hunting at a food plot, you better be really careful how often yeah. you disturb that. And the point in saying if you go to your duck hole, you've got a bunch of food there, and you go at daylight and you pound them, pound them, pound them all morning, it's not going to last long. Because you know what? They're going to go somewhere else and get something to eat, and then they've gone to another spot. So that's just something for people to keep in mind about hunting over, you know, whatever food. Makes a lot of sense. Where are they feeding? Yeah. And that, yeah. Can, that can be applied to whatever we're hunting here. Yeah, it, it, absolutely. For, for the most part. I guess my point was saying there's a big difference when you say what Chris did between where they're feeding and where they're loafing and, you know, hiding. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Shall we keep lo- Brooks Tinley? You're sitting over here on the couch. You're being quiet. There's no telling how many stories here. Yeah, I mean, uh, I was just saying. I think I created a monster about whatever twenty something years ago because, man, the next thing I know, he'd been hunting with us a time or two, and he was like, "Wow, this is really cool." The next thing I know, he's like winning state duck calling championships. I was like, "You Brooks, the same Brooks?" <laughs> yeah, and man, he he he. I can remember telling on you that when you were playing baseball. And he hurt his leg, and he had how many operations? Two. Two. On that one two. leg. Yeah. yeah. He had two, and he was in a cast the whole duck season, still hunted like 40 days. Yeah. <laughs> On public ground most of the time. Love it. So I was like, that's somebody who's found his calling and what he loves. Well, Brooks, you got a uh, – that's da, quite da, da, an da, da. introduction there. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah uh, big time. Yeah, big so time. you got to have a good story. I've got so, a bunch of stories, some that can't be told in public and some, <laughs> you know, some funny, some serious. Mr. Bill touched on a dog story. You know, dogs and duck hunting are synonymous. I mean, uh, and I've had some good dogs. Uh, and I kind of wanted to go there, but after hearing everybody else's stories, my what I was going to say is kind of changed too. Uh, but Chris said something about, you know, his uh, granddad and their family and kind of what that meant to him. And uh, it's one cool thing about duck hunting is 
most of the time you're not doing it by yourself. You're with a group of people. And normally when you're with a group of people comes a bunch of stories. Uh, it, you know, you can remember when you shot a big buck. You can remember when you missed a big buck. You can remember the same with turkeys. But with duck hunts, it's almost like good or bad, you seem to remember a little bit from each one. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, but this the, the story that I do want to tell this particular morning was a couple years ago. My daughter, at the time she was eight, uh, she's 11 now, so this was three years ago. She had killed some turkeys, and that's kind of her passion. But me, being the big duck hunter, I'm kind of trying to push her push her into that duck hunting uh, deal. And uh, we had hunted some lions duck hunting, and she had actually killed ducks on her own that we've let hit the water. But this this hunt was her first time standing next to a tree. Now, I know you asked Chris, like, what's better, flooded timber hmm. or fields? Well, for me, the I the said answers, both. <laughs> yeah. The answer is flooded timber for sure. So this hunt, we were standing next to a tree and kicking water, and that's that's my passion. That's, uh, that's what I like to do. Um, I'd rather stand next to a tree, kick water, and not shoot any as I would shoot 100 in a pit. Uh, but to each their own, uh, this particular morning – she's set up and i've got a string tied between two trees to help hold her gun up wow uh, she's you know she's eight and she's a girl and so holding a gun up to you know shoot on her own is kind of tough so this was going to kind of give her a rest so to speak to help hold her gun and an old timer taught me this trick uh, he did it on youth hunts in arkansas he'd tie a long string in, string in between two trees and he'd have five or six kids and he'd put a loop uh, kind of where you tie your sling to at the end of your gun. And so that way if they dropped their gun, it faced straight up in the air and there wouldn't be any. And so I learned this from an old wow. timer in Arkansas, and so that's what I, I had her set up in a similar fashion. This is a heavy-duty string. <laughs> yeah, well, a rope. I guess you'd say a rope. Yeah, okay. Uh, like paracord or something. Paracord, yes, yeah. sir. That's what it was. <clears throat> okay. We need to th- – you actually need to do that for Mr. Bill. <laughs> that's right. I thought about that. That's what I was, I wasn't going to say anything. But... <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> We but, just uh, all get behind him. You know, he doesn't have a mic now, so he can't come that's back. That's right. That's right. All right, go ahead. We, uh, you know, we were having a good hunt, shooting some ducks, and there were several kids on this hunt. Uh, and uh, this one particular duck just landed perfect. We had a guy f- actually filming over her shoulder. She's doing all on her own. It lands in the frame, and she shoots it. Wow. And she just gives this fist pump in the air. And it was like, wow. <laughs> and then, the, you know, that moment was, it was awesome. Something I'll never forget. But 30 minutes later, the hunt slows down. And we're kind of standing back behind her, talking in a group, the adults. But the kids are kind of up there talking. Well, some dirt ducks start to circle. And I look up, and there she is, just kicking the water. Oh, man. And you talk about soaking it all in. <laughs> Wow. And, like, I, mean, I tear up just thinking about it now. Now, everybody in the group looked and was like, is she really doing that? She's eight. Yeah, she's got it. And hook, hook for life. So, as this is happening, we've got a tornado above us, and it's ducks everywhere. And I kid you all not, when you talk about being able to see a black duck and pick it out, I've duck hunted now for 24, 25 years. We saw a white mallard, clear as day. The second one I've seen in 25 years. 
<laughs> and I'm like, it's a white duck. It's a white duck. And I'm pointing it out, and everybody's like, oh, my God. All of a sudden, everybody can see it. And next thing you know, Corbin just shoots. And normally, when you're in a group of people, somebody needs to call the shot. Right. Unbeknownst, unbeknownst to all of us that were enamored with this white duck flying around the air, a mallard had hit the water right in front of her. She didn't hesitate. She let it eat. And I wanted to be mad, but at the same no. time, it was no, like, no, man, no, but no, no. What, a, what a morning. Three really cool, cool things in, in one hunt. So. That's so cool. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Now, how old is she now? She's 11. And she's oh, going, going no. with you on a regular basis? She, she duck hunting in cold. You know how you yes. know, women in cold weather, so you got to really kind of pick, pick, your, pick, days. Your, yeah. pick your days. And that's what I'd say for a lot of dads and granddads out there. You want, you want them to have the same kind of passion that you have, but at the same time, you've got to be careful yes. and not take them on mornings when it's 20 degrees and raining or windy or pulling through a bunch of mud stuff yeah. but turkey hunting if it's frost on the ground she'll it doesn't matter she's going Good she does, so <laughs> tell, tell them when she, how old was she when she killed her first turkey she was four four years old i've never heard of a child male too i'm telling that you. early and guess whose place it came off of when it, right before she killed it it came right <laughs> It came right off of one of Toxie's places. <laughs> <laughs> you weren't encouraging that. I didn't know that till later. That's really cool. Yeah. So the, the big picture point is, is that I, I go back, I've said it before, the psychologists will tell you the most critical relationship in the family is actually the father and the daughter. And so it is. It's the most critical one. And there's things that happen if they're not close or the dad doesn't give them time or stuff like that. But the point is um, – he always said, you know, there's an emotional cup that young daughters have, and only the dad can fill it up. Not a boyfriend, not a grandfather, no, not a brother, only the dad. And so what's my great story gives me chill bumps is how Brooks has raised her because they are best friends through hunting. And that doesn't happen much. One of the few things that can cross over that boundary is hunting. But it might be a mom if she likes to hunt going with the sons too. Yeah. But they are so close because she was your firstborn, so she was, you know, she was the one he had to take, and so from such an early age, she is a sport model, and she knows the game. I bet you better than any boys her age already. But Chris is the same way. Bill raised one. You know, it's the most special thing. If you asked him a turkey hunt right now, it'd be last spring with Ann Payton. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, dads out there, do not forget about that. Mm-hmm. No, that's a great point. Mm-hmm. It sure is. I used to <clears throat> lug Sarah Francis around everywhere I went. You know, crawling through mud and briars and laying on the ground shooting deer and stuff, and I wouldn't trade it for anything. Yeah, now those are those are precious. And not to mention, just like not you. to mention, Bobby's created oh. a monster here lately. Yeah. Bobby's, yeah. Bobby's daughter, which is obviously uh, she works with us, major contributor. But Bobby's daughter, I had the time to uh, spend some time with her at the Foxhole Shootout, and I was staring at a young lady that is so well versed in the outdoors. Oh my gosh! It blew my mind, and that and 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 I was so proud that a young lady who spoke so eloquently about fly fishing to everything, tying her own flies to just the nature of what she was so enthralled with. And I, I will tell you, Bobby, that, that it's rare you see that. Yeah. Well, well done. There's a big problem that. with the stage Jesse's at, though, in her hunting career. Bobby's taxidermy bill. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. She's getting too efficient. That's a big thing. Yeah. 
Really so, is. so, because she's she's killed some whoppers and some yeah. cool stuff, big turkeys. She'll, she'll be here tomorrow, and she's wanting to. Oh boy, she wants some. It's always something so, new, you know. One one month it was pawpaws, and then it was tying flies. Mm-hmm. She's got that sense of wonderment. That she does. Daniel yeah. mentioned that's sure. right for sure. So. Uh, one thing I did want to add, Bobby, that, yeah. that we we can this can be off the podcast or not. I've never told this, but I think it should be recorded because I think uh, he would be honored to know this. But this this is going to blow your mind. Obviously, if you're faith driven uh, and you you believe in that, all good things come from God Himself. And what happens? This will uh, this is an eye opener. But I think Mr. Ed Moxley, this is a story that took place, and we can use this some on time down the road. It is 1 o'clock on a Thursday. I am in the middle of a major presentation. I'm just finishing up. Phone rings. It's Ed Moxley. What are you doing? Well, that's usually what we called the phone call, and that meant that it was go time. So I called him up. I said, I'm just finishing up. Uh, What's up? I need you to be here in an hour. I can't do it today. No. uh, Finish up what you're doing and get here. So a bunch of us came. He said, bring your brothers, bring everybody. Long story short, we get up to the marsh, and we've got about an hour and a half left of the shoot. And, and Brooks, you, you jarred my memory. And I haven't told the story because uh, it's tough for people to really grasp this, but uh, uh, it's unique enough to share it. We get to the marsh, and there's a line of us. Dave Brunkhorst, who was president of Ducks Unlimited Mexico, his uh, shooting partner for over 50 years, uh, and a number of us are all down the line. We're taking turns shooting. We've shot 22 greenheads and three bands uh, in this sitting. And it is a spectacular shoot in about an eight-acre hole that was flooded buckwheat. He just put water to it. Mallards found it. They were coming off the bay, and it was nonstop. <clears throat> so that was to my right. And all of a sudden, I look up, and it, together we both catch it. And there is a white mallard in a flock of about 15 birds. And Ed... Steps out. He looks at everybody and said, do not shoot the duck. I know you see it. Do not shoot the duck. So we just sat there, funnel on down in. The entire flock lands in the decoys. He jumps it up and shoots the white duck. <laughs> he walks out to the white duck, picks up the white duck, and proceeds to duck and proceeds to walk a mile all the way back to the lodge. Doesn't say goodbye. Doesn't say a word to any of us. We're all standing there. We're not sure if the hunt's over. And I, I turned to his friend of many, many years, uh, Dave Brunkhorst. I said, Dave, w- what just happened? He said, I-, I have no idea. Was he not feeling well? I said, I have no idea. We all pack up everything. He's, he's gone. We get back. His Suburban's left the place. It's his marsh, right? So everybody leaves. I lock up, get home, call him, no answer. About a half hour later, I'm in my closet. I just got out of the shower. Phone rings and said Moxley. He said, hey, I, I, got to, I owe everybody a big apology. I'm calling everybody now. He said, uh, something happened to me today that I, I was embarrassed to share, but I need to share it with all of you, and I think it's important to realize just how lucky we all are to enjoy this sport. And I'm thinking, man, something happened, and he's going to share it with us now. His, one of his very, very closest friends that used to hunt with him and Dave Brunkhorst for many years, owned a marsh about two miles away that they would shoot widgeon in. And they would trade widgeon hunts for mallard hunts at Ed's place. He gets cancer. He passes away. He's on his deathbed. Uh, Ed goes to visit him, and he said, when I get to heaven, I'm going to send you a white mallard. Oh, my gosh. And when I send you this white mallard, you know that I made it to heaven. Now, he's telling me this, and when I tell you for the first time, I'm in my closet. 
and I could barely speak to him. And I said, I, I, I totally get it. He said, I'm just, I apologize for walking out of there. He said, when I tell you, my chest almost blew up. I was so blown away by what happened. So he sent it to our local biology station at McGee Marsh. And they, in fact, it was a white mallard, uh, full, not a Muscovy, not a, uh, but it was actually a white mallard itself. I got so, chills hearing it. Oh, wow. <clears throat> when I tell you, we thought he was sick. We thought he was ill. And he said, he promised me he'd send me a white mallard to let him let me know he had made it to heaven. Wow. So, hey, I, I wanted to get that. That's I, incredible. I have not told anybody. Hey, so it, no, that, that takes you out of the game. Of the story. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. No more <laughs> stories. No more stories. No more. You yeah. cannot top that. That's incredible, man. It was, it was good. It was good. I'm Ed would be proud. That, Chris, that, thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Wow. wow. That's amazing. Yeah. And uh, I, I don't know where to, what to say, but I mean, you hear people have stories right. about birds. I have story, you know, I have some sensitive stories about yeah. birds. That's a, that's amazing. Yeah. That's just wait. Yep. No you doubt. Know, that, I don't even this know what whole, to say. This whole thing, Bobby, though, is also a great testament to the, the people that have, get the most out of their life and their time. You know, think about golf. It's on my mind a lot because of George right now. The people that really get the most out of golf and like they're playing golf they just they love the sport they get so much more out of it they love the sport you know all the time they get to feel that feeling every day when they think about it all it's like i think bill brooks chris especially but all of us to a degree love the sport of duck hunting waterfowl love the resource love the duck chris does and he means good gracious how many ducks he shot in his life but every one of them, he's cradling. I mean, Brooks is the same way. It's crazy how many, how successful they are. But they love the sport. And that's, that's so important for people to not, you know, get caught up in just the hunting and the, you know, running around, shooting, trying to be this or that or whatever. Just learn to love the sport and enjoy the walk. Because I see that out of them. And it's like, what a blessing that can be. I think Brooks would be the first to be a preacher for that. It's like love the sport and everything about it. Yeah, and you know, and a lot of people today are caught up in social media mm-hmm. and trying to make a post every few days, and that's just not what it's about. I mean, I'm looking that's at right. Brooks, you're shaking your head. It's I mean, sad. It's sad. It's uh, young people. There's so much more to get out of it, and yep. and look, Chris just told a fantastic story. Unbelievable. On the heels of that, Dudley, you've got. Do you remember the story you told me about a duck hunt and a turkey follow? Oh yeah. Would you tell that? Because I think it. Falls yeah. on the heels of Chris's story. Yeah, so uh, I've mentioned it on the podcast, but my dad died was when I was in high school, and he was a big hunter himself. Uh, and uh, but he always went as a guest duck hunting. All of his college buddies from the Mississippi Delta would invite him duck hunting a couple weekends, and they'd probably come turkey hunting with him. You know, uh, but uh, after he passed away, uh, one of his best friends, uh, Mr. Bill, knows him. Uh, gave me a membership to this hunting club that I grew up going to as a guest. And uh, so I, all of a sudden I started hanging out with all of my dad's best friends. And I was a a student up there in the Delta at Delta state. And uh, so I practically moved into that duck camp, you know, when I wasn't in class, but uh, uh, before all that happened, right after Dad died, my first time to go duck hunting at Goose Pond uh, with all of his friends, uh, we get in the boat. Uh, I, I can think of it like it was yesterday, and it's uh, they always like to sit around and drink coffee and, and talk. And instead of going in with spotlights, we would go in at first light. Um, 
which was neat. And uh, so anyway, we're in our boats going down this long cypress lake, really long and narrow lake, and you can see the sun coming up. And uh, we all looked up, and there was a gobbler in a cypress tree. Wow. I don't know, 100 yards in front of us. And everybody's like, well, that's really weird. And uh, certainly it's going to fly off soon. And uh, it, it took flight, and we're like, really cool. And uh, a couple minutes later, uh, my buddy Mouse turns around, another one of my dad's buddies, uh, and says, look, that gobbler is following us. And uh, so we just keep going down the lake. It's just, again, a long, narrow cypress lake. Uh, It's pretty shallow, so you've got to go kind of slow. And uh, at this point, we're all crying. And we get all the way to the duck hole. It's probably two and a half, three mile boat ride. And it opens up into this larger, big water cypress line lake. But there are these older little islands of cypress out there from eons ago when the water went down, and uh, they're still there. And that turkey sat about 250 yards from us in that cypress tree and watched us shoot a bunch of ducks that morning. Wow. That is crazy. Unbelievable. And, uh, I mean, has anybody ever seen an eastern wild turkey gobbler do that? Easterns don't like to follow us. Uh, No. But, yeah, there's... That is crazy. The, those bird stories, there's something to it. I, I really believe it. Yes. So, oh, that's anyway. awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. 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 I, I'd heard that story. It gives me chills when I hear it. And well, so, it's, you know, you people think you're lying when you tell a story like that, but uh, there was several of no, us there. Yeah. There, really cool. there. There's such a bond that's made, uh, you know, family bonds, but bonds made during hunting. Your, your dad's hunting buddies that were there. Chris, the effect that that all had on you guys – it's just. It's, I mean, I still got brain damage from my dad abusing me in the cold weather. <laughs> oh, well, look, we we had some other people lined up, but I think that's right there is probably a pretty good place to. Yeah, it's like yeah, that's a good spot. Yeah, it, it really is, Chris. I, that that was an awesome story. Thank yeah, you for man. sharing that. Yeah, great. And Brooks, you traveled in here, and, and you, you got your. I don't know. Is that a flat brim? Hey, you just look so youthful <laughs> over there. <laughs> Hey, flat brims, they're yeah. still in, you know, these young I guys. I got a little bend it. in it. I don't go all the way flat. Um, yeah, you got a little yeah. bend to it. I did one. I heard you guys talking gamekeeper stuff, and since this is the gamekeeper podcast, I don't hear it enough. And I know the guys that are like Toxic Chris and Bill that are, that are into uh, the conservation <laughs> and helping ducks. One thing you don't hear about, and it's about to come up, is springtime. And as these ducks are going back up the flyway, that's the limiting factor. And they've got to be healthy, obviously, to get to the breeding grounds to be successful. You know, just like a, a hen turkey does. But you've got guys that are drawn down. You know, they're you know flooding impoundments the day after duck season because they're flooding their impoundments to kill ducks. Well, they need to be flooding their whatever it is, yeah. their ag field, to help ducks. And you can't do that if you're getting water off your place early. And that's what 95% of the people do is the day duck season's over, they pull the boards. And these ducks still need us in a lot of places through March and April, the further north you get. But especially in the south into February and early March, they've got to have good habitat before they head back north. Well, the the number one limiting factor, I know for sure this was – 
straight from the head of DU of the Mississippi Flyway for nesting success is actually more than anything the condition they return in. Yes. Yep. Not even, you know, you hear about the, the droughts and the marsh conditions. All, yeah, it's real important. Nothing is important as that. So I would also echo what he said and be conscious of the need to eat. So when duck season is over and you have something I would you want to feed them, I think it'd be great. You know, it's, it's a, a win-win. You could feed yeah, them corn, yeah, yeah. whatever. Milo, wheat, it doesn't matter. Something good for them. Yeah. And it's easy. Get it at your local co-op or something. If you've got somewhere – that they want to rest. I mean, they need to. Yep. Yeah, that's good. We need to help them. It's it's a really important thing, and especially in this flyway where a large percentage of it is leftover ag, they return. That's where he said the Mississippi flyway is the worst for them coming far south. I mean, in other words, they're now conditioned to not go any further than they are forced to. Yes. Because in this flyway specifically, when they turn around to get way south from cold weather, when they turn around to go back to Canada, they're going back through a biological desert because this ag food does not last like natural food. And it, Doxy is 100% right, and the formation of an egg is highly dependent upon the moist soil vegetation that they eat, the natural protein, uh, protein that they, they garnish. <clears throat> the other thing I would tell you, too, is <clears throat> as we look at just how the flyways have changed and what has evolved, Brooks Point is so key because if you draw all those places down, there's something called imprinting on waterfowl, and they know it's there. Yeah. They know that food is there on the return, and when it's not there, and things like avian flu you hear about now, birds are congregating. You just have to realize that we are manipulating a, a millions of years old migration. And when you manipulate that, there are there there are second and third order effects consequences. Yeah, <clears throat> better 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 word for sure. Yep. Wow. Yep. Well, we all love them. We want to keep hunting them, mm. and it's the season winding down. Yeah, there's down. a lot of questions and a lot of information. I I encourage anybody who wants to do something and was inspired by what Brooks said to to reach out to us, reach out to the resources, reach out to DU universities yep. that specialize in waterfowl. There's so much information about what to do. There's so many biologists. Will give you advice on what to do for your ducks, you yeah. know, and just what he's saying. Don't forget about them when hunting season's over. Sure. And look, I just kind of had a thought. Uh, you know, mossyoak.com, A guy can go there every couple of days, maybe every day, and there's a different story or stories oh, yeah. on there that they can read about I, every day. There's a lot of waterfowl stuff on. It. But let's get somebody at mossyoak.com, and I'm thinking of one particular person to do a story on Ed Moxley. I Love think that would be really interesting for, for yes. people. And we, we have before, to. but it's time to do it. Oh, if, if we have, well, we can bring, we have, but bring let's it, bring back, it back, up. back up. Yes. So, yeah. We'd love to. Yeah. That I think that makes sense. So, yeah. guys, this has been a good one. Uh, great one. Yeah. We'll, we'll do it again. Brooks, thank you for coming in. Toxie, are you yep. taking t- Chris all the way down here from Chagrin Falls? Thank you. Who is the most famous person from Chagrin Falls? I've got Chris somebody Bar- in Chris mind. You mean besides Chris Barrett? That would be infamous. Yeah. I think the most famous person would be my wife. Because she lets me do what I get to do. <laughs> I'll leave it at that. Yeah, is it true? Tim Conway is from Chicago. He is Tim Conway. Yeah. Yeah. Look, there's a. It's crazy. There's a lot of people. people. I looked at it when I was there that time. There's a list of it in the <clears throat> chamber thing. There's a bunch of them. Yeah. What's amazing is how many tiebacks to Sugar and Falls from our industry. It's crazy. It uh, it it would blow your mind. Yep. In a Small little town like that. Yeah. That's a topic for another day. Yeah, yeah it is. All right, well, let's wind this up. Why don't you say adios, Dudley? Adios.
Dudley. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the Gamekeeper Podcast. And be sure to tune in again. Subscribe to Gamekeeper Farming for Wildlife magazine and don't miss the Mossy Oak Properties Fistful of Dirt podcast with my good buddy, Ronnie Cuz Strickland.